Welcome to a special review of the year on the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. And what a year it's been on and off the fields of play to go through it all, from the World Cup to the WXV to the community game and governance. I'm joined by experienced Welsh rugby journalist and friend of the Welsh Rugby Union podcast, Rob Cole, to reflect on everything that's been going on. So, where to start? So I guess we start with uh, the return of Warren Gatland and, you know, coming back to take over from Wayne Peebach and being given a very short space of time to get into a Six Nations and then looking to, I guess, redeem the previous 12 to 14 months with a, a reasonable World Cup. I think the challenge for us is how do I balance a number of older players that have been around for the last few years that have continued to carry on and be part of the squad and how many changes do you make, how many players that we do bring in because we need to give some of those youngsters some, an opportunity during the Six Nations, the World Cup warm-up games leading into, into the World Cup. So there's, it's a bit of a balancing act. 15 years ago you came in after Nantes in the World Cup, four months later or five months, Wales were winning the first game of Twickenham for 20 years. We all know what came afterwards. Not too dissimilar this time around. Is this a tougher proposition than when you came in all those years ago? Yeah, probably isn't a, a little bit tougher in terms of, you know, there were some of the regional teams that were doing well. We picked a lot of Ospreys players in that first game and that was, that transition made it easier in terms of, you know, going in that first game to, to Twickenham. So, the challenge for all of us, I think, in Wales is that we want our regional teams to be competing on it on and doing better in the competitions that they've played in. And yeah, look, I'm, I'm excited about it, but I'm well aware that you know, there are some challenges ahead. And you, I think you'd have to say that on the balance of the year, he, he did it again. He turned it round. We, we got through the pool stage. Yes, it was potentially a missed opportunity against Argentina, but... You know, it was probably pretty much par for the course. And what he has done is laid the foundation for the rest of his period here. He's got people wanting to play for Wales again. He's got some new kids on the block. And I think it was a probably a better year than we could have expected. Yeah, if we go back 12 months, they just lost to Georgia. They lost to Italy at home, both at home earlier in the year. His return, I suppose, sparked hope, but it was a bit doom and gloom 12 months ago. And the Six Nations... That didn't do an awful lot to dispel the, the mood of concern, shall we say? No, it didn't. I mean, he came back and found there were some complex problems and some real difficult, deep-seated issues that had to be resolved. And he went through that with the players and he had to try to get some performances out of them. He beat Italy. Great. He didn't do so well up in Scotland, which was, broke his record against the Scots. And there were a few other difficulties. But he used the Six Nations in a way that he'd probably never done before by finding out about some new players. He found out that Jack Morgan was going to be a great leader. He found out that Dewey Lake was going to be the man probably to take over from Ken Owens. And there were others along the way. He tried Mason Grady. He found Joe Roberts. And he was able to use those games, as frustrating as it might have been for some of the fans, to look into the future and to say, we've got to find some resolution here. Where's the next second row to going to come in to take over from the great Alan Wynne-Jones? Where are we going to find 
and he has found Jack Morgan to take over from Justin Tipperick. He's looked at the fullback situation. He's looked at his back three. And in Mason Grady, in Rio Dyer, he's brought through some players who could be big stars of the future. And it all seemed very uh, downbeat, particularly in the build-up to the England game when there was lots of off-field stuff coming up. I suppose the good news was it was resolved. It was put to bed. Just happy that uh, things are being sorted and uh, we can finally focus on uh, preparing for Saturday. How has it affected the preparations? Oh, um, guys are good this morning. We had a meeting with the players just to announce the, the team to them and just said, look, it's an opportunity for us to draw a line under the sand and just focus completely on preparing for Saturday. And from that week on, it was a, it was a fairly steady upwards trajectory. Well, I think some of the players of old who knew him and knew his methods were pleased to see him back. The young kids didn't really know what to expect and were probably wondering what they let themselves in for. But then you move on out of a pretty mediocre Six Nations into this great training platform um, in Switzerland and then in Turkey uh, to build up to the World Cup. And they found out exactly what Warren Gatland is all about. Organised, uh, a terrific motivator, a great planner. And in Gats, they trusted. They worked their socks off. They got into the shape of their lives. And by the time they got to the World Cup, they put in, certainly in the pool stages, some very high-quality performances. And the early attention was probably focused on that Friday afternoon where within a couple of hours, Justin Tipperick and Alan Wynne-Jones both retired and people focused on the people who weren't going to be there. But behind the scenes, Warren Gatland and perhaps maybe even more importantly, the strength and conditioning team who put a huge amount of work into the preparations for that and also making sure that it all went well. There was a lot of stuff that we weren't hearing about that we saw was bearing fruit. Yeah, indeed. And it was down to his biggest watchword commitment in the first instance and then hard work in the second. As he kept on telling them, you're only going to get out of this what you're prepared to put in. And my God, they put a whole heap of hard work in and he gave them the platform. And in assembling his new coaching team, he unearthed in Mike Forshaw a real diamond, someone in the same mould as Sean Edwards, who gave the players a system to work with and they worked it out with him to a point where by the time they got to the World Cup, it worked very effectively. And they're all very comfortable within that system now. So I think it was the first nine months of the year were building up to inevitably the World Cup and it was a, a feeling out process for coaches and players. But I think they worked it out in the end. And, and regardless of the outcome of the Argentina quarterfinal, which was disappointing to everyone, we're now back on some terra firma and we can look forward to the future with everybody pulling in the right direction. And you had a great sense of support out in France. The people travel by, by train and by bus and by car and... Yeah, a lot of uh, minibuses and RV homes and any method really to get out there. And the group stages were really, really good, building up to that game against Australia, which no one could have foreseen. I mean, Wales hammering Australia, absolutely coming out with everything you could have asked for and keeping the, 
their foot down all the way through the game. That was certainly a high point of what went on in France. We've put a lot of work in the last four months as, as a team together. And we know that we're a team, a momentum team. We build on confidence in terms of performances. And, and we felt we didn't get enough credit for the Fiji performance. You know, at 65 minutes, or 67 minutes, at 32-14, we felt we'd done the job and give away a yellow card and bring them back into the game. And, you know, we kept that pretty much to ourselves. But I thought today was uh, an outstanding performance in terms of what we wanted to achieve, game management. Uh, we were blown about a half time, but we knew that they were worse than us as well. So, um, and I thought we just went out there and controlled the second half fantastically well. Only a few months ago, you had a team that was on the verge of going on strike and divided in your own words. Can you just talk a bit about the job you've done to the turnaround and to get the team into the quarterfinals? Uh, um, look, there was a lot of things going on before the Six Nations and then contract issues and, and players being offered and for them, you know, just understanding the, the frustrations from them in terms of their security and future and, and families and stuff. And I fully understood that and proud of the fact that we're, the success has been based on hard work and, and punching above their weight. It, well, it was a carnival, wasn't it? And the fans did what they always do. They travelled in force. Uh, they travelled in hope. And they didn't travel with potentially too much expectation. But as soon as we'd held out in epic style, the Fijians in that first game, one of the games of the World Cup, and a game in which not many people gave Wales much hope, then all of a sudden it was a different ball game. Portugal wasn't a walkover, but then look what happened to them later on in the, uh, in the tournament. So there was a bit of quality there. And then we come to Georgia, the nemesis, and we weren't expected initially to, to win that game either, but we did. And the um, Australia game was just, I guess, one of the highlights of Gatlin's career coaching Wales. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's that's true, especially with Eddie Jones maybe and the other Indeed, side. Indeed, you know, it doesn't come much sweeter than that. And in the Argentina game, there were definitely opportunities to put Argentina away by half-time. There was definitely some good play. When push came to shove, Argentina maybe just showed a bit more experience. But there was enough in that Wales performance to think going forward they could build on it. Well, look, the misfortune that Welsh rugby had throughout the year just hit again, didn't it, with the Gareth Anscombe injury in the build-up. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And there was a moment where there was a kick that... Uh, went close, there was another kick that could have gone over and it was just such a shame. Uh, you know, all the players would have felt exactly the same, I'm sure, that it, this was a missed opportunity. If that was the men, it's also been an interesting year for Wales women, the continuing development as professionals, a promising Six Nations, possibly a a bit of a wake-up call in the in the WXV where they they made it into the top six group. No one likes to lose in, with and conceding that many points. It was really really difficult, but there were some positives in that performance as well, and that's something that we looked at. But also some some great learnings with regards to to compete at that level against the world champions. You know what do we have to get right in our game to give us a chance. How much of a balancing act is it from picking what you think your best fifteen? to giving players experience in the World Cup cycle? It is a balance and it's, we have a good discussion as coaches and thinking about individuals and how we can expose players at this level, which will make us better for the future. Let's go back to the Six Nations and they did pretty much everything you could have asked for them there, didn't they? 
Well, <laughs> there were, what, 24 professionals, I think, at the time. It was all still pretty raw and pretty new to them. But they had a good coaching team. Uh, they had proper planning. They had proper vision. And they were all incredibly excited. And for once, I guess, they were given some KPIs to work to. And they delivered, you know, three wins for the first time in uh, a long time. And yes, it was always going to be difficult against England. And yet you get put down in that game in big style on the scoreboard. But you learn from it and you keep coming back. And if you keep coming back, you will get better. And I think it was the same. They they qualified for the top tier in the WXV for the first time. Historic to the same in the one uh, aspect. They increased the number of uh, professional players to 32. And they went there as a much better prepared and a much better group of players than they had been 18 months previously. So it's a giant step forward, even if we have to accept that the game doesn't stand still. Other teams move on as well. Other teams like England, France and Australia and New Zealand go off the top. We hoped we'd go there and beat Canada. We couldn't quite manage it. So it's frustrating to the one extent. But if you don't keep knocking on the door at the big tournaments, you're never going to get any better. And I felt there was a big, big difference after 12 months of professionalism that in the first Six Nations they played with some professional players to this year's Six Nations was a big improvement. But when they went into WXV, they'd lost some of the experience, the likes of Sean Lily Crap, Eleanor Snowsill, and they were going in with a lot of players who were newly professional again and almost starting that process. And again, hopefully, we'll see that group now come through over the next 12 months and beyond. Well, it's one of the uh, uh, the biggest conundrums, isn't it? You can get to a stage where you've got a, a load of experienced players and you look at all the, the number of players who were playing in the Alliance Premier 15s in, in England. So they had a good level of experience, but that one or two come off the top and you're going to say, well, where do we go now? Where is It's from the bottom up now, not from the top down. And it's been very encouraging to see the number of teams playing in uh, the women's leagues across Wales expanding the number of players playing in the schools and colleges increasing. And that is the next frontier, if you like, improving the number of players in the game. Improving their quality is not the problem. We now have the three uh, centres at three universities where girls and women can go and then develop there. We've obviously got the international scene and the professional pathway and a great coaching team under Johan Cunningham. So all the building blocks are being put in place. We just need to populate it with a few more players. Well, many more players. And that's a battle with football. It's a battle with other sports as well. And the other part of that is getting to grips with the real grassroots game where the girls play through until the age of 12 or 13 and then they have to stop playing with the boys and then they go into hubs. So there's a lot of change for them at that stage, but the ground is being prepared for them there and there's a better pathway. The big conundrum, I guess, is where do they get any rugby in schools and how does the union in conjunction with the schools affect that? That's a big area to be um, improved on. But once they get, once they show they've got a bit of ability, the pathway is now there for them to get through. And then the um, broadening out 
of the Celtic Challenge into two teams, playing us the two in Scotland and the two in Ireland. That's just now going to start. We're going to see how they get on with that. And that will be fascinating because it'll not only give the players who are coming through the pathway the chance to play at a proper representative level against experienced international players, but it'll also now give those players who aren't getting as much game time in the Allianz Premier 15s because of new rules there, a chance to step across and represent a Welsh team there. And up until now, if they've wanted to come through to international level, they've had to play for the English clubs, and that's been pretty much the only route. So seeing the Celtic Challenge grow gives that other route, as you say, for both developing players up to a certain standard just below international rugby. And we saw quite a few come through from the one team last year, the likes of Abby Fleming. I think I gained a lot of skills from the Celtic Challenge. You know, having that captaincy role gave me a lot of responsibility, a lot of roles around game management and looking after kind of younger members of the squad and also making important team decisions. But I've learned so much from that experience and definitely in the future, going forward, the Celtic Challenge is going to be massive for Wales. We know it's going to be a sellout crowd. Um, how wonderful was it for you in that first match at home against Ireland when all the fans came onto the pitch at the end? You know, what sort yeah. of things were they saying to you? How, how did it make you feel? Oh, it was massive. And, you know, to think we have got to say a massive thank you to the fans because without them, we, we definitely wouldn't be where we are because we've had so much support this campaign and, and in the years previously. So it's been great to have them here. And obviously to think that we've doubled that crowd now. So we're going for the sellout crowd this weekend is brilliant. But yeah, I mean, on the field, it was a bit overwhelming, but in a good way, really, you know, had lots of young players, you know, boys and girls coming up to us and just wanting to get to know us and kind of ask for autographs and photos and things. And it was just lovely to hope that you could inspire someone and inspire the younger generation, which is what we want to achieve, because we want younger girls to realise that they can be in our shoes in a few years' time if that's what they want. Well, I'm sure Johan Cunningham's delighted to see players in the spotlight just below his squad level and aspiring internationals because he needs that new blood. You know, you, you talked about Eleanor Snowsill and uh, you talked about Shuan Lillycrap, great servants to the game. And it was great to have a couple of the girls back from the sevens. But you need new people to come through to challenge. We need a new outside half now. We need, uh, once Sean Ed Harris goes, someone else to come into the back row. It's not about just filling those places anymore. It's about having people competing for those places. And that can only come from down below or new recruits with Welsh qualifications from outside. And talking about the spotlight being shot on players coming through, let's move the conversation on to Wales under-20s, their performance in the summer. And we're seeing a few of those players in regional action now, and some of them are doing pretty well. But let's go back to summer first of all. Very close against New Zealand. Plenty of excitement there in, in Wales getting through to the fifth, sixth playoff game. Indeed. I mean, it was uh, it was a game that could have been won against New Zealand. And it's not often you say that. And that would have been probably a step beyond what many of those players had played in uh, before that. So when I viewed it, I viewed it as a mental challenge as much as a physical and a rugby challenge. And they certainly stood up on all three camps. And, you know, they got close and it 
it, you know, it was a very creditable performance. And, you know, to see little Dan Edwards dancing around, scoring a try, kicking the, the goals and dictating the course of the game as well as anybody in, in an all-black jersey. I think they were surprised at the quality of the Welsh team. And I think we have to give a big thumbs up to Mark Jones for coming in at such short notice and getting the best out of his coaching team and allowing the players to be at their best when they came back into, after that two-year hiatus, into the, you know, what is a big proving ground for them. Um, and yeah, isn't it great to see so many of those players playing either in the Premiership and performing well there and or stepping up into um, the European and URC level? So we saw Dan Edwards play um, in one of the, uh, was it against the Scarlets in the in a regional derby and scoring a try at the end. We've seen Harry Houston come up from Swansea for the Ospreys. We've seen Ryan Woodman, you know, the captain playing once again, a second season for the uh, for the Dragons. And he's still got another year to go at, at the 20s. And Morgan Morse was number eight the other day for the Ospreys, winning at the age of 18 down at Parker Scarlets. There are more than green shoots here. There are some very good bamboos that can be turned into huge spears to really cause difficulty in the future for lots of our opponents. And um, you've got a card if you see Big Mackenzie Martin and Lucas Delarua. Lucas Delarua playing in Toulouse in a Champions Cup game in his first full game for Cardiff. I mean, remarkable at the age of 18. And of course, all those players have come through from the community game. There's quite a lot going on in some ways it's the first big season back after covid for the community game and we're seeing the changes the tackle height that seems to have been going okay on the whole maybe maybe better than expected we're getting greater feedback and the numbers of people playing which i think is going to help going forward and the road to the principality is still there we were both at a, at a great day at the principality stadium when some of the junior teams kicked that off well, it's a, it's a huge investment by the WRU into the community game. I don't think a lot of people recognise the planning, the financing, the arranging that goes into 11 days of finals, 30-odd finals over 11 days. Now, just to find 11 days vacant at the uh, Principality Stadium is difficult enough, but to plan it so meticulously and have so many people come through, I think it was 30,000 people came through the gates in the finals the last time. And uh, the appetite from the community game to get to play at Prince Valley Stadium is a real calling card for the game. Let's be fair, it was the um, community game that supported Glamour Griffiths to get the Prince Valley Stadium built. And this, if you like, is their payback. Here you are, fellas. It's your stadium. It's the jewel in our crown. You're very welcome, as the way it should be. And to see some of the finals and to see the way that the teams felt after it. Scott Matthews, captain upon a pool, went through an incredible undefeated season in both league and cup. And it's the best moment of his life, lifting the cup, having lost when he was there previously with Cross Keys. What a day. And the Pontypool fans were just fantastic. And they got their reward with a day out at Prince Valley Stadium and then getting back after a 12-year gap into the top tier of, I was going to say semi-pro, but uh, it will be next season maybe, but, you know, the second tier of rugby in the, the Indigo Premiership. Fantastic. And probably the club team of the season across the whole of Wales. You'd have to view it in that light. 
But, you know, we've got 280 clubs and then more than 100 or more of those clubs have then got junior sections that have maybe 150, 200 kids involved. It really is a very strong base to the pyramid. It just sometimes needs to be a little bit more joined up and it needs to be a little less confrontational within itself. We just need to make sure that the upward movement takes the best players all the way through. Which comes back to the WIU, I suppose, leading all that from the centre. And it's been an interesting year, shall we say, for the Welsh Rugby Union. It didn't start particularly well. Rugby's a game that relies deeply on the culture on and off the field. It should equally affect those cultures and values off the field. We have to make this game as, as welcoming. Uh, and the organisation, WIU, as welcoming, as inclusive uh, as it can be. Culture is deeply important. That's how organisations function at their best, is through a good culture, through a solid culture, representing the values that you have as an organisation. And so rugby uh, and WIU is, a, is an iconic institution within Wales, deeply embedded in its DNA. People now craving reassurance. We will address the issues we need to address, and now we can drive the change you need to do and bring that trust and faith back. In that. And that's really important. Uh, we need to ensure we are a progressive organisation and going back to where we started this, a welcoming organisation, a game that people feel comfortable, confident in engaging with. If you were to offer me a grand slam or successful sort of outcome to this and resolving this, culture comes first. Getting the culture right would trump a grand slam for me. But we're seeing a lot of governance changes have flowed from that and we're about to see a new chief executive in Abby Tierney taking up her role in the next few days. Of course, she's been pretty busy over the last few months since being appointed. So maybe at the end of it, you say the WIU is coming out stronger than they went in. If you look where the year started, uh, the BBC Wales programme shone a, a light on some pretty shady parts of the union, as they've admitted. But through the, the joint work of Ian Evans and Nigel Walker, they met it head on and they did probably all the right things to give themselves a chance to come out of this in better shape. Now, they pledged to um, put into place every recommendation that came out of the independent report into the sexism scandal. And what we found was that a number of those things had been done in due course along the way anyway. And thankfully, we're now on better ground to move forward. There's a new team in place. Yian won the day on getting the, the clubs to vote for an independent chairman. And Richard Collier Keywood, God bless him for taking on a job that we thought not many would want to do. Uh, and since June, he's been learning, uh, listening, fighting fires, and just before Christmas, he gets his first board meeting with his new board. And he's just waiting now to come into January for Abby Tierney to come in as CEO. And then things can move forward. We can look forward rather than back. And there is now going to be a new plan. If ever there was one before, I don't know. But there's going to be an ongoing plan. They're going to be reviewing it quarterly in conjunction with an outside agency. And you just have to feel that nine months down the track from the revelations, 
they're in much better shape and there's a greater commitment to ensure that Welsh rugby doesn't fall foul once again. And I suppose just to finish off, you mentioned Glamour Griffiths and that that's going back to the beginning of what was then the Millennium Stadium. Um, we lost Glamour this year. We lost Dennis Gethin. We, we lost Brian Price recently, the former Wales captain. So there are a few big, big names in Welsh rugby who who departed this year. Be worth mentioning some of them. Indeed. I mean, Clive Rowland's another, you know, totem of Welsh rugby for so long as, as captain, coach, president, and then the glimmering, shimmering genius that was David Watkins. And of course, there have been others, but Brian Price, a, a triple crown captain, a British lion. We lost him at the age of 86. Two presidents in a, in two or three weeks going was a great hardship. And, you know, we've just come to an end of an era in terms of the presidential um, role of, of Gerald Davis, who's done four years. And now we've got Terry Cobner in and, you know, great names with huge credibility. And I'm sure we'll go into 2024 as a game in Wales with a bit more hope than we had in 2023 and probably in in shape to move forward, not to reflect backwards. Well, Rob, that's a nice note to finish on. Thanks very much for joining me to review 2023 and a bit of looking forward to 2024. Happy New Year.